Hi there, I'm Ken Record for Mining Biblical Truth, and uh, welcome back to uh, another uh, week of examining this uh, fabulous book, uh, Biblical Critical Theory by Christopher uh, Watkin. If you're just accessing this uh, series for the first time, I encourage you to go back and uh, start at the uh, uh, video called Introduction, uh, which is a... a it goes into uh, his uh, long introduction uh, to the book. Uh, also, uh, 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 this week we're, we're uh, talking about chapter 2, uh, Creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But if you uh, also have an opportunity to join a online Zoom discussion group, uh, uh, each week at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time in the USA. Uh, if you're interested, send your name, email, and phone number to me at the at Ken, Ken Record 8 at iCloud.com as shown. Uh, and uh, we'd love to have you join us. We have one international member. Love to love to have more. And I uh, just want to emphasize the the uh, importance of reading the book. Uh, it's a fabulous kind of lifetime of work that Dr. Watkin has put into this this uh, this book. So creation. Uh, I also want to add, just add that uh, uh, I can only hit the, the highlights uh, of this uh, this chapter, and without the book, you, you will miss out on a lot. But whatever is created belongs to its creator. I think this is a fundamental concept that most people would accept. Uh, Watkins says, if the universe has a beginning, then it is not necessary. It is possible for it not to exist. Which is an interesting way of thinking about the, cre uh, the creation as to whether it's necessary or not. If the universe has a beginning then its form is story because each story has a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. When you compare uh, the biblical uh, creation story to creation myths uh, invented by man, such as the uh, uh, Middle Eastern Enuma Elish uh, myth, uh, where one mythical being uh, is, is doing another but none of these beings are self-existent. They all include, and all these myths include, bloody, chaotic conflict. They're really all about disorder rather than order. And that's uh, fundamental to this discussion of the creation. Genesis, on the other hand, is radically different. God is not in conflict with anyone at the time of creation. Uh, in creation, God brings order from chaos, as displayed here. Um, and order requires conscious planning. So we think of this concept of God in creation, it's God and everything else, everything else outside of him. Uh, Watkin refers to this as an irreversible Asymmetry, which is uh, interesting uh, terminology. Uh, 
uh, uh, God is uh, separate from us. He's divine. We aren't. And that cannot be reversed by us. Walking uh, goes into four consequences of the creator cr created distinction. Um, uh, the first is, is is that as created beings, uh, we should be humble. Uh, and as a uh, being outside of us and being the creator, God has sovereignty. Uh, the uh, uh, man-made gods can exist only in the created world, and there are no rival gods in the supernatural. And there's no mediator except God himself. There's no go-between uh, these two uh, realms uh, unless uh, it is God himself. And, of course, God does not evolve from a pre-existent universe. All the uh, creation is going uh, in this direction, not in that direction. And then he gets into this um, uh, comparison of transcendence and imminence. Uh, to transcend means to climb over or beyond or to surmount something. Uh, in the biblical sense, I like to think of it as being beyond our time-space domain. Imminence uh, is an indwelling or something inherent. Um, and so it would be inside the space-time domain. So a transcendent supreme being cannot be known by our senses. And an imminent being can be known by us, by our senses alone. So based on the above, it would seem that a supreme being cannot be both transcendent and imminent. A supreme being that is only transcendent cannot interfere with us. And a supreme being that is only imminent cannot really satisfy us because we need that supernatural to satisfy us. Um, I think because... Uh, we uh, deep down uh, know that we are eternal beings. Now, the secular world likes to deny transcendence. Uh, and Psalm 14, one says, only the fool says in his heart, there is no God. <laughs> that sums it up pretty bluntly. Uh, secular philosophy denies that anything exists outside the space-time domain in which we dwell because if there was a supreme divine entity, it would be unknowable by us. So basically, if I can't sense it, measure it, uh, then it does not exist. But if existence is unknowable, then its, its absence is also unknowable and therefore cannot be logically denied. Uh, no one can prove the absence of God. So the God of the Bible is both transcendent and imminent because he makes himself noble. Watkin describes God as uh, imminent due to his involvement with his creation. He simultaneously, quote, over all and through all and in all, as said in Ephesians 4, 6. His transcendence and imminence are complementary, not contradictory. And uh, Elowit uh, Aquacken quotes uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer 
as saying, quote, God is the beyond in the midst of our lives, unquote. I love that. So um, the man-made choices are either a dungeon of fate uh, versus the dice throw of chance. Philosophy hates gratuity, that is the concept of grace. It becomes, uh, because it means we are not in control. Some atheist uh, uh, physicists committed suicide when they accepted that the universe had a beginning because they could not live with the created cosmos. Uh, uh, at least that's, that's something that uh, uh, I was told years ago, whether that's a, an urban legend or not, I, I, I can't be certain. But I think that it is true that scientists find despair um, when um, thinking about the fact that uh, the universe has an origin. So a gratuitous universe is an, an unnecessary gift by the grace of God. An unnecessary gift. Gifts are received. We receive existence, meaning, and love. Otherwise, we would, we would need to create life, meaning, and, and love by our own powers. And that would be a great burden. Uh, Watkin uh, paraphrases or partially quotes David Bentley Hart as saying, it is a biblical bombshell that turns philosophy upside down. For in its wake, every principle of necessity became subordinate to the higher principle of gratuity. Every principle of necessity became subordinate to the higher principle of gratuity. In other words, grace is number one. The world of logical certainty runs aground on the rock of generous gratuity. You simply can't make sense of it from a scientific standpoint. And then we have gratuity and what Walker refers to as the market society. Certainty is a feeling, not a fact. We merely feel that we're certain about something uh, as opposed to uncertainty. You know, is life a, a commodity with a calculable value or a priceless gift? It's a choice between the market society and the gratuitous uh, gift. Which choice do you think leads to thankfulness and peace? Well, I can paraphrase this Michael Sandel saying we have drifted from having a market economy to being a market society because everything is negotiated, bought, and sold, including love, security, and identity. Watkin proposes that chance is the only bolt cutter that can sever the chains of causal necessity. But how can we live in a paradigm where we only have an uncertain chance of salvation. Where's the comfort in that? So the biblical par paradigm, life is a gift. Each day of life is a gift from God to be received with joy and gratitude. And this results in 
compassion for those who can do nothing in return. Life is not a mixture of necessity and chance. Necessity misunderstands the character of God who cannot disown himself. 2 Timothy 2.13 Chance seeks to understand generosity without the resources of absolute personality theism, a term that we uh, studied last week. So the excesses of society, uh, uh, the biblical views it as, of life as a superabundant divine generosity. It's the blessing of an unnecessary world of grace. It leads to living in wonder and praise. But the market society is over-the-top production, consumption, and profit. It's the curse of a necessary world of inequality. And it results in living in anger and distress. Now, in the beginning, God said that the earth uh, creation was uh, tohu wabohu in Hebrew, which means formless and empty. The original world, for mysterious reasons, was cold, dark, and empty. And then, and God said, God spoke into the nothingness. He communicated it. Another interesting aspect, not talked about by Watkin, um, is that the Hebrew words, uh, that it, for each day of creation, there's uh, a reference to there was evening and there was morning. And it seems like an odd order uh, to us because we tend to think of the morning as the beginning of the day. Whereas the, in Hebrew thinking, the day really begins at sunset. And um, those words for evening and morning and Hebrew also mean disorder and order and are more or less synonymous with darkness and light. And then Watkins gets into this uh, dichotomy of thought, language, and reality. On one end of the spectrum, language cr creates the distinctions in reality. On the other end, language has no effect on reality. And I've changed the wording there slightly to make it clearer for me. Uh, language is as much a part of reality as air or land. Interesting way of thinking about the world. Uh, and so what uh, bridges that gap and brings the two together is that without form and void, and God said, yeah, because God is the voice of creation. So the language reality is dichotomy is uh, diagonalized by God's uh, speaking uh, creation into being. Then he gets into this uh, uh, question of an enchanted universe or an embodied universe. Something is enchanted, I think of as under a divine spell. Something that's embodied, without embodiment, God would not interact with and could not control his creation. Uh, for instance, someone who was uh, a deist who believed that God created it and then he just let things go to hell and didn't uh, care to be involved in his creation uh, would have a, an enchanted view uh, of the universe. Someone who thinks that, that nature itself um, is all that matters would see the universe just embodied in, uh, in nature and that 
and again, and God would have no, would not exist and have no control. So we're talking about the material versus the spiritual here. We're talking about an uh, the choices of an enchanted materiality of the of the uh, market society or an embodied spirituality of Christianity. Uh, in the one, um, uh, man thinks and there was that that the universe just came into being on its own, and in the other, that and God said, and then it was. Uh, well, it also brings out the interesting point of the use of the words every and all in Genesis and questions why the abundant excess in the creation. I think it's so that his loved ones can see God's creative joy. God is not a minimalist. He's not someone to create something to just kind of get by or go halfway or um, be satisfied with uh, less than something that that is really wonderful. And it's neither functionality nor beauty are compromised in creation. Rather, both are maximalized, as shown in these images of microscopic uh, lining of the gastrointestinal tract or the human musculature anatomy. An absolute order without creativity, that is, uh, uh, a flexibility or limited autonomy, without that, we'd be like living in a prison. But an unrestrained creativity for humans, that is an absolute autonomy of, of mankind, would result in hell on earth. Uh, we see that in the Bible, in the book of Judges, and Judges 76 says, in those days there was no king in Israel, every man did what was right in his own eyes. And that's very much what I see in the world today is everyone doing what is right in their own eyes and not uh, feeling that they're held to uh, a higher standard. Uh, the result of the hell really is rejecting God as king. It wasn't that they didn't have a good human king in Judges. It was because they didn't accept God as their king. And the second view of life is summed up well by Thomas Hobbes, who said, Life in the state of nature is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Now that's uplifting. But the biblical view of life uh, is that, but God said it was good. Everywhere where we look, the creation is a symphony of similarity and difference that is reminiscent of the Trinitarian equal intimacy of the one and the many. It's a quote from Walken, uh, shown in the image here of the diversity uh, and yet similarity of butterflies. Everything and everyone created by God has both commonality and diversity. He created us to be creative. When we create anything, it must, it must quote, achieve a synthesis of order and creativity. I love that quote because I'm an artist and in art, you can sometimes uh, stretch or break a rule, but you have to know uh, the reason for the rule that you are breaking and how, and how you are still maintaining overall order or balance despite breaking one rule. Walken also gives an example of a Bach fugue as a compromise between order and chaos. I had trouble understanding 
what he uh, meant by that, uh, not being uh, uh, well trained in music. So I asked a, uh, a friend who's a music teacher about it. And uh, after discussing with him, I found this uh, uh, visual guide uh, to the fugue uh, uh, and one of Bach's compositions. Uh, and uh, basically, um, there's a, a theme as shown here in the highlighted part. It's called subject, followed by an answer theme. Uh, then the answer theme is raised to another octave um, and then repeated in a different way. And then finally, there's, a, I, I think, a kind of a mixed conclusion to it. They, when, when you look at the overall nose, it appears very chaotic. And yet there is an underlying order. But absolute order is monotonous. Uh, monotonous. In music, this would be... Uh, um, uh, like a, a chant that has no rhythm to it, just repetitive or totally what in music would be called consonants. But on the other hand, absolute chaos would be a cacophony or referred to in music as a dissonance. Uh, some people like modern dissonant music. I personally do not. I don't think it really resonates with most humans. And then uh, Wacken reviews these terms used by Charles Taylor called mimesis and poiesis, uh, a couple other words that uh, <laughs> we uh, may rarely encounter elsewhere. Um, but mimesis is uh, somebody thought of as, as mimicry or imitation, and poiesis is creativity. Uh, so we get the word poem. Um, Modern poetry breaks many of the rules of traditional poetry, but it still has an identifiable order to it. It is still composed of, at, at a, its most fundamental, it's still composed of letters from a limited alphabet. They don't, not making up new letters. My take is God does not lock us into mere mimicry like a scribe copying text, but also does not abandon us to unlimited creativity. And that's for our own good. Because as limited beings, we simply cannot be trusted with unlimited autonomy. Who do you know that you would want to give unlimited autonomy over the world? Other than God, of course. So God said it was good, and Augustine pointed out this was a declaration, not a realization. It wasn't that he, he created this as, oh, that's good. No, he knew it was good, would be good before he created it. So divine word, God speaks, and in that speaking, he not only brings things into existence, but he defines the goodness of things at the same time. These two things Swakin refers to as inseparable, as shown in the diagram here. So is the statement, it was good, is that subjective or objective? Is my world real or imaginary? He talks about the double principle of Kant that this distinction of internal subjective and external objective. The subject, subjective uh, it comes with inside us, and objective is from some external source. So is my world, quote, interpreted from my perception, unquote, or an absolute reality outside of me? The objective paradigm leads to an impersonal reality. The subjective paradigm leads to a personal reality.
which is better. Only God can perceive and judge goodness because only he is good. Being outside the time-space domain gives God the ultimate perspective on reality. Now, the distinction between subject and object is itself an illusion born of sin and not an inherent quality of reality. It's a quote from Augustine. An illusion born of sin. This illusion reduces love to mastery, praise to possession, and creation to calculation. A quote from Watkins. Something to ponder. As shown in these uh, headline uh, or titles here, we see a lot of uh, uh, publications today about mastering your life, mastering your mind, or mastering yourself. Uh, Watkins describes choices. Uh, vital uh, to our worldview. Are we here to love God, others, and ourselves, or to master life? Are we to, to view life as a possession that we own or a gift that we, we receive and for which we give praise? Do we view God as loving creator or a controlling calculator? And he talks about modern liberalism versus uh, Another uh, rare word, communitarianism. So he defines the current liberalism as emphasizing the rights of the individual. All views are neutral, having no effect on others, which seems totally nonsensical. But uh, communitarianism emphasizes the common good over the rights of the individual. It's a, it's a term for uh, a society that sees itself as a community and where communal things take precedence over the individual. Um, and therefore, no true, truly, that no truly neutral view um, is possible. Uh, contradictions are, um, uh, in the liberal view, you can define your own sex, for instance. Or in the communitarian view, you cannot drive a gas-powered car if it causes global warming. Uh, and Waka says, neither side can imagine a gateway to a view of the world as a whole. Uh, you can think of this like an integral view. So I think it brings everything together. The anthropocentric worldview, that is the man-centered worldview, um, People are the only thing of value. And God declared that the results of the first five days of creation were good. Therefore, goodness in creation precedes mankind. And he talks about the fact versus value, excuse me, dichotomy. Facts are public and objective and therefore deemed to be reliable. Values are private and subjective and deemed by society to be unreliable. Wacken says, for the Bible, values are factual and facts are valuable. I love that. <laughs> Let's repeat that. For the Bible, values are factual and facts are valuable. But he points out that this would be another reductive statement implying a dichotomy in the Bible. My take is that uh, uh, fact 
that is saying it was so and value it was good are both fully and simultaneously true and reliable. Uh, this uh, graphic dis uh, displays this uh, concept that walking goes through the fact-value dichotomy that either you have a, uh, a definite uh, division between facts and values, or you think of facts and values as separate but contained within a, uh, a wholeness uh, of reality, or you think of facts and values as being overlapping within that wholeness where some things are both facts and values and others are separate. But in the Bible, you have a fully integrated concept of facts and values um, uh, in the, the biblical worldview. Then he gets into the important subject of the, uh, the Sabbath, the uh, seventh day of creation, uh, just described as blessed and holy. Uh, it's, it's interesting that the, the climax of uh, creation is rest. Rest. Uh, Walter Brueggemann has uh, his book, uh, Sabbath as Resistance, saying no to the culture of now. Uh, Sabbath resists the production consumption paradigm of the secular market society. My summary is that Sabbath is a reset from material reality to spiritual reality. He talks about the, you know, the otherwise you're, you're dealing with futility. The, the market society has a sense of futility in that no matter what you build, it will eventually fall apart. Just as in the fable of Sisyphus, who uh, was uh, doomed to push a rock up a hill only to have it roll back down. Uh, and Jesus said in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. I think we too often forget that, uh, seeing Sabbath as a, um, uh, uh, a required obedience rather than a blessing. My take is that Sabbath is a blessed duty. So we're created by the Creator to create. We love most what we create, and so does our creator. If you create something and someone denies you created it, then that is the ultimate insult. But we are also designed to need rest from creating. Our world is it's not created and then just let loose to operate on its own, but rather it is held in God's hand. Our creative work, therefore, cannot be separated from God's creative work. And then at the end, uh, uh, Watkin offers these uh, discussion questions for the sake of our uh, audio listeners. Uh, I'll, I'll read these. Uh, uh, he uh, uh, suggests trying to summarize the chapter in 10 words. Um, uh, he asks, so what difference does it make that the universe has a beginning? Why is a creator-creature distinction important for a Christian understanding of reality? How do biblical ideas of transcendence and imminence differ from their extra-biblical namesakes? In what ways is the tohu wabuhu of Genesis 1 a cultural and natural threat today? Describe the significance of the enchanted, hyphen-embodied world of Genesis 1. And the universe is not a slapdash, careless affair, but 
neither is it a straight-jacketed regimented geometry of absolute order. Uh, explain that. And in what way is Sabbath observance a practice of resistance today? So stop here, pause, go back, and and think about at least one of those questions. And we'd love to have you share your question or answer or other comment uh, uh, on YouTube. So let me uh, close us in prayer. Thank you, Lord, so much for this uh, uh, enlightening treatise uh, on the creation uh, and help us to um, uh, use what we've, what we've learned to um, uh, interact uh, with, with others, especially non-believers, um, uh, in regard to how this view of creation as a gift um, can change our lives for the better. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for watching. Uh, you can make a comment on YouTube or you can contact us directly at info at and have a blessed week.